to a Hope 103.2 podcast. We'd just finished a month of singing and speaking throughout Darwin and around the top end. In the silence, the band I used to sing for, back when I was cool, had enjoyed wonderful opportunities to tell the gospel in song and word in high schools, detention centres, Aboriginal stations, and in the one and only Mindel Beach Market. And um, if you've been there, you'll know how spectacular that is. Now we were racing in convoy down the Stuart Highway for similar gospel opportunities a few days later in Melbourne, over 3,000 k's away. About 100 kilometres from Coobapedi, about two-thirds of the way to our destination. Our four-tonne truck, packed with PA lights and our instruments, blew its engine. I mean, totally blew its engine. The truck had to be hauled to Adelaide. It wasn't going anywhere. Problem was... We had no money. The ten of us, that's band, crew, and a couple of our spouses, were already struggling from month to month, living partly off random gifts, partly off what churches could afford to pay us for the missions we conducted, and partly off our album sales. But we were going to need an instant number one hit to pay for this little disaster. We were going to have to cancel the next couple of missions, which is not a big deal in the grand scheme of things, but for the churches that had booked us a year in advance, it was probably a little disappointing. To us, it just seemed frustrating and confusing that, humanly speaking, gospel work could be hampered by such small things as engine blowouts and low bank balances. The confusion didn't last long, though. After a memorable night jammed into a multi-bed $40 a night hotel room, we got a phone call from our manager in Sydney. Guys, he said, good news. A friend from church has just given us a gift. Sure enough, Cam, which is a name we weren't going to forget easily, had written a cheque for the entire amount. For the new engine, the haulage, the mechanics fees, the lot. Within two days, we were in Melbourne singing and preaching our hearts out in more schools, universities and prisons. What seemed like a mess one moment became a happy on-the-road story the next. Any seeming hindrance to the gospel was powerfully resolved by the beautiful, gospel-promoting power of Christian generosity. Cam would be the first to tell you he's no evangelist. But the reality is, his gift to us was the direct means under God of many people hearing and believing the good news over the next months and years of our ministry. From the Lord's perspective, what Cam did that day promoted the gospel every bit as much as what I was doing in front of a microphone each night. We were partners in taking the gospel out. The word partner is exactly the right one to use in this context, because as I want to explore right now, the New Testament gives special honour to people like Cam. It praises them and God for what it describes as partnership in the gospel. In the ten years between the founding of the church in ancient Philippi and the writing of the letter we call Philippians, There were probably many letters back and forth between the Apostle Paul and his beloved Philippian congregation. This letter, though, the one in the New Testament, is probably the last the Philippians ever heard of Paul. This time he was writing not from on the road, but from prison in Rome, where he was awaiting his trial before Emperor Nero. 
Now, what we know that Paul didn't at the time was that the apostle would be executed under Emperor Nero around AD 64. Living on the Via Ignatia, one of the main roads of the ancient world, the Christians of Philippi would have learnt of Paul's imprisonment and impending trial before just about any other church east of Italy. And their response was instant and inspiring. The Philippians dispatched one of their own revered leaders, Epaphroditus. You can read about him in Philippians 2.25 and 4.18. And with him, the Philippians sent a great parcel of gifts for the Apostle Paul. Now, what the gifts were, we don't know. They may have included clothing, bedding, food, parchment for letters, and money for provisions and legal expenses. Imagine how Paul felt that day in about AD 62, when a colleague turned up having made the two-week journey from Philippi to Rome, bearing gift upon gift from his beloved brothers and sisters in Philippi. Well, we get a sense of how he felt in the heartfelt words with which Paul's returning letter begins. Here it is, Philippians 1, 3-5. I thank my God every time I remember you, in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul's fondest recollection of the Philippians, the thing that filled him with thanks to God, was their partnership in the gospel. The word partnership is an excellent translation of the Greek word used here in this sentence, koinonia, because it conjures up Notions of sharing in a business partnership, which is precisely the metaphor Paul wants to strike. From the first day when the Philippians opened their homes to Paul and his missionary team, right up to now when they sent him gifts while in prison, the Philippians have been the silent but critical partners in the grand task of promoting the gospel to the world. How do we know that Paul is speaking principally about financial partnership? Well, partly because of the historical context of the letter, which I've just outlined, but also because when Paul returns to the theme of partnership in chapter 4 of the letter, the financial sense is very clear. The word koinon is used again. So let me read Philippians 4, 14. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. The word share is the same word partner. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared, again, partnered with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. When back in chapter 1 verse 5, Paul says, I thank my God because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He is recalling the Philippians' wonderful generosity toward him over the 12-year period from the moment when he first set out from Macedonia, right up to the time when he received the full payment from Epaphroditus. We could explore numerous other biblical statements on this theme, and we will in our next episode. But for me, the most significant text on this idea of financially supporting the work of the gospel is this one we began with, Philippians 1.5. 
and its wonderful emphasis on partnership in the work of the gospel. We must not think that gospel preachers are the only ones engaged in God's mission to the world. If we are financially supporting the work of the gospel, we are full partners in the task. We're not spectators on the sidelines, we are players on the pitch. We might not all be doing the same activity, but we are all shooting at the same goal, promoting the gospel for the salvation of others. Financially supporting evangelism is not a second string unspiritual contribution to God's mission. It is a true partnership in the gospel. Believers must believe it. Ministers must affirm it. This activity should be honoured publicly, just as Paul does when he praises the Philippians' gifts by saying it is a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Are you supporting the gospel work financially? Hope 103.2. Thanks for listening.